Know Thyself is dedicated to the exploration of the most rewarding task an individual can ever embark on, the journey to find oneself. Our intention is to investigate the universal principles that have equipped our species to seek the treasure of all treasures, self-knowledge. With your host, Daniel Powinski and Eduardo Manteca, this is the Know Thyself Podcast. Awesome, man. Well, sounds are good. Audio levels are good. You look good. You look good. Thanks, man. Welcome to the Know Thyself Podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm here with Daniel. Hello. I'm Eduardo. And here we go. Uh, the continuation of this um, biblical series and the esoteric breakdown of, of the biblical series and more specifically um, the continuation of Genesis uh, from part one. We're now going to move into the seven days of creation, which has been very exciting to read about. And really, um, it's been it's been really nice to generate a lot of questions that I have uh, lined up for Daniel in regards to you know, where we got this information from and where, where, um, where you can kind of see the lines between like what's been blurred and then what actually lies behind, um, all the information that we should probably be more aware of in regards to the creation story. And I think that's like one of my favorite things about, um, any of these breakdowns is you have to go through the process of understanding that someone has, you know, dim the light or someone has just sort of put their own influence onto such, um, information. Um, and then when you find other readings that sort of expand on something that may have just been looked over, it gets very exciting because I always believe that most of this information, even when you're a child and you're learning about it, in my case, in, in Catholicism, this is already inherited information, right? It is encoded within us. It's something that we can um, automatically relate to. Um, And so there's a lot of these moments in the seven days of creation that I think was very easy for those who had their hands on it to just say, this is what it was, moving on. Because in so many ways, they're tapping into something you already knew to be truth, so you don't question it because... It's almost like if your eyes saw the color blue, but someone else came around and goes, that's blue, but it's more like navy blue or it's a French blue. And it's like, man, you can't just put a title on the blue that I'm seeing. You're just, you're giving it a name and you're giving it its its definition, but there's probably a lot more going on as far as the color spectrum. And let's talk about why we see this color and what the reflection of the ocean does to the sky and for us to see a blue sky. So it's like, I think... <clears throat> Um, I think that with the Bible, you're going to see a lot of these things that it's not so much that they're deceiving you or, or just changing the way it is, um, you know, just for some kind of advantage over, over people, but also because there's just no need to talk about it and go into it. It's, mm-hmm. it's like, just moving on, you know what I mean? Kind of, like I said, with the creation story, just kind of, you here it is, it's very small package and then it's moving on. Mm -hmm. And if you want to go investigate even more, you probably can't. But that's what I like about this breakdown is that we're going inch by inch, um, through, through, through Genesis. And, um, yeah, man, I'm, I got, again, I got a lot of questions. I'm not gonna, 
uh, mumble too much. Dale and I are doing this session uh, in the morning right now. In uh, La Manana. In La Manana. And uh, so my brain's still a little foggy, as you can tell. But um, but I did do a lot of reading prior to this. And so the questions are, are the ones that I really can't wait to jump into. So um, let's go to the beginning here with... Um, in the beginning. In the beginning. So uh, take Perfect. it away, man. Dude, oh, awesome, man. No, and you bring up such a, a great point because this is such a, you know, we, we talked about it because it's kind of this paraphrased creation story that comes from much ancient sources yes. of, you know, pre-colonial Africa. This is Egypt, Babylon. This is the oldest of the old. And we kind of have this very much abridged version of the creation of the universe and the creation of our own souls. Right. Um, and so that's kind of, you're right. So like what that's going to happen is as we've kind of moved into this postmodern, we're kind of coming in a little bit more into this kind of colder Kali Yuga time that we're in. Mm-hmm. We do see that people do not see the depthness and the magic that's actually held within these words. And we are, we're reading this as like an analytical, very, um, you know, kind of like almost like a scientific materialistic approach. Mm -hmm. And that's why we lose out on the depthness of um, what these books actually contain. And, you know, just by going over the first week, um, the first episode we did this, we only got through the first verse of Genesis, right? In the beginning, God created heaven and the earth. And um, we could po- talk about those 10 words probably for the remainder of the season and still not even scratch the surface on it, right? right. And we're going to kind of look at that today and kind of even go a little bit deeper in that as we make our way to the seven days of creation and kind of really kind of look at, you know, breaking down what's entailed in that in that information because it's so, so important. So, you know, the first thing... As we kind of approach today, the one thing that I really want to um, kind of really kind of put into that mind's eye is just this idea that this creation of the universe is very much this impulse or desire that comes from the original source of energy. And this is going to be something that we're really going to have to kind of utilize this skill set of this mystical thinking to really perceive why this desire to experience consciousness by the creator is so important to our own character development. Right. And we we began kind of talking about that last week of the idea of, you know, just how power powerful these desires and drives are in your life. And where did these desires and these drives come from? And, you know, how do you actually, the part of your spiritual development is not going to be so much denying these desires and these drives, but purifying them and making their come sure that they're coming from the highest source of spirit as possible. Because without these drives and desires, we have no movement. Right. Okay. So it's kind of like when we were talking about that, remember we did the episode on Mars and we were talking about how Mars is that energy that will like pick you up and move you from one room to the other and to kind of go through a doorway. Like Mars is that energy that can push you through. This is very much representative of this desire energy and this drive energy that is at the seat of our consciousness. You know, when you when people talk about their shadow self and meeting their shadow self and how important that is for the dark night of the soul, your shadow self isn't not just 
the collection of experiences that you've kind of forgotten about or kind of, you know, purposely tried to forget. Um, and it's, it's, is uh, aspects of your personality that you haven't incorporated, but those aspects of your personality are really the, the desires and drives that you're not recognizing. Okay. And if they're, if these desires and these drives are coming from a spot that you're not very, um, that doesn't align with your spiritual development, well, then what we have to do is we actually have to just kind of raise them up and immerse them more into spirit. We're going right. to take them through the alchemical process. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, were you going to say something, my guess? No, that was it. I was, I, I, you just nailed it. No, I was going to say that uh, basically what you, what you were describing as far as like raising the individual up, it's that, you know, we've said this multiple times as above, so below, but we start in the below and make our way back to the above. And I feel like you have this instinctive map, you know, like it is said that the, and when I say it is said, what I've been reading about through Manly P. Hall and describing the Bible, um, in this case, you know, he talks about how the, the universe or the gods impregnated themselves, you know, into making the the creation of, of who we will eventually become. And if that is so true, then, we carry that part of that universe of the higher self within us at all times. But I think to, you know, lead us back upward, um, is the task mm-hmm. is the purpose. It's the move. It's, it's the moment that, you know, when you're talking about this Mars energy, that is what's going to move you. And unfortunately for us as human beings, the more comfortable we get with the, um, with our, our base, our basic needs, you know, that are met, you need to experience some kind of tragedy in order to want to even dive into this for any of the listeners right now. I mean, we, we get messages all the time and and their lives are nothing but, you know, uh, something that they're experiencing at at a complicated time that has led them to even want to go here. And so I think that what you just said is exactly right. It's like to, to be able to get, to raise yourself up to want to understand what lies within that ether and, um, and where we came from uh, is probably like just obviously the goal for, for all of us and the purpose that we have um, on earth to get there. You know, I love how you ended that with where we came from, because that's perfect because it's, it's the illusion that we start from the bottom and we make right. our way up because yes. that's not true. We started from the top and we yes. came our way down, right? We saw that gravitational pull. We looked into that, the darkness and then that the gravity started to pull us down. And it's, it's our mind that, attracts it's easier for the mind to look down and be pulled down by the senses to look up and be pulled up by spirit oh i love that you know what i mean because the mind is the mind is kind of made in this logic realm it's this it's this last sphere which is this physical world so the mind very much even though it is the partaking in creation the mind in our body very much identifies with the senses yeah right so i love how you brought that up because that's almost one of the biggest things that we can kind of look at is our story didn't start down here. Exactly. Our story started up there. Yep. And, and we, we can finish the story down here faster than people know. Exactly. Because it's all about climbing back up. Yeah. And like you can literally meet every goal you want to meet in the physical realm faster than you know. And I, I have said this before, but I meet people who really want to prolongate that process whether it's like you go from some kind of academic status to then even a master's and then to the, maybe I'll get into this job and then may, and they prolong the materialistic world that, that we live in or the world that's down below. Uh, and they deny themselves the time that they have here to make their way back up. And I think that um, if you really give yourself a chance, 
and the five cent construct, you can get it all done pretty fast. And you're like, oh, well, now what? And it's like, well, that's the whole purpose is like, you don't need to be lingering on that. You need to be going up way beyond this, this world. But you're right. It is an illusion that Maya, that sort of like trickery of thinking that, well, what my eyes are gazing upon is what the world that I live in, um, where, where it all matters the most. And it's like, no, it, I, it, it mistakes this as the real, right. when really this is the shadow, right. which is so, so interesting and so perplexing. And again, I think that's when we, that's one thing that I really think the East, you know, both, both schools of mystical thought have done such a great job in the expansion and the evolution of consciousness. But I really think the East, that was one of its focus of understanding that this is the shadow. Mm-hmm. You, the light is, the light shines through you, right? Um, and you bring up this great point about this Maya and this physical realm that we're in. Um, and understanding too that creation and again, this is going to be something that has to distill, and it might not make sense of what the significance of this is at this moment, but it's really, really important just to kind of get out there. Creation and the creation story is this impulse and this inward inspiration. It's that drive we were talking about. Creation, though, is not the creation of new things. It's the rearrangement of the elements that are already there, right? So you even think about an, an artist who creates a beautiful painting. You know, he's not just making this painting out of nowhere. He has to get the canvas, he has to get the paint, and then he recombines these elements together to make something new. Mm -hmm. And that's very much this idea of creation because it's really arranging elements into new patterns to serve in the revelation of the will, the mind, and consciousness. Right. Right? So even when we think about, well, oh, how do we create this new world? How do we, when we talk about how do we create this golden age? How do we rise up above this iron age? Like with this, this, this um, period piece we've been doing on time and stuff. And it comes down to that. It comes down to the rearranging of elements into this physical world. So this is how you get the work done. Okay. Mm -hmm. You're not going to, when you get into spiritual practice, it's not like you're just going to start when you start kind of making this spiritual development, it's not that a whole new world opens up to you, a whole new perspective opens up to you on how to utilize this word world right. for the development of yourself. Because all the pieces are already here. It just depends if you are actually trying to put the puzzle together. And they teach us, you only have to put a couple pieces together. Oh, that, that works. That's it. Right. Right. And it might be like a four by four piece, but that's actually not your story. Your story is not this four by four little square it's this, you know, multi-angled, huge 50 by 50 kind of thing that's always kind of adding. You're always kind of adding pieces to it. So that's a huge part when we talk about creation. So when we talk about like, you know, God created the heaven and the earth, we're talking about the rearranging of elements that were already present. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this energy that is there was just unmanifested. So when we talk about creation, it's just the aspect of putting the non-active to this active principle. Right. Right. And it's this inversion. And this is what it means to be a creator. Okay. And I think this is, again, what kind of falls people off when we ask about like, are you a instruction follower? Are you a master builder? Or I'm a creator. Like people, I think, kind of see this as they don't see the true understanding that this is just the rearranging of elements. And it's really just the changing of your perspective. 
And once you can kind of start seeing how all the elements come together, even if the creation is a negative thing, you have a, a perspective change. You can see the consequences of it. You oh, can yeah. see why this was just turned out negative for yourself, right? But again, everything is just the rearranging of elements. And that's kind of, that's really, really important when we kind of talk about um, this creation. idea of kind of what we've been bringing up with this creation story, because it's um, it's going to give us a really good understanding, especially as we kind of further this and kind of start to approach the idea of Gnosticism. Right. Um, and even today when we kind of talk about like the Elohim, which is going to be kind of something that we bring up right. in the aspect of God. So, um, so yeah, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And I think that that is kind of where we started off last week. And I have a great little breakdown, and this was a later Manly P. Hall breakdown of this, but this was his almost translation of that term, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Um, and that's kind of what we want to start off today, just as the jumping point as we kind of make our way a little bit further in this conversation. Yeah. But his is going to read as, from the eternal principles and essences, which are the substances of the beginning of existence, the forces, makers, or fashioners of the world, the androgynous creator gods, molded, sculpted, and carved, thus brought into manifestation the substances of the superior and the inferior creation and release the archetypes of the positive and negative aspects of eternal being. So right there, I love how when he was breaking that down, he says, from the internal principles and essences, which are the substances of the beginning. So he's talking about these essences of life were already amongst, they just weren't organized. Right. So this creation aspect is really just, again, this reorganizing of these impulses that have always been. Okay. And this is what the alchemists called the one thing. And this is what we're, this is what's going to, going to be manipulated here. Is right. that, is that one thing that's going to be manipulated by that one mind. But the idea that this, this energy is, has no beginning and it has no end. Right. And that's really, again, it's, it's part of the idea of time and it's going to, it's part of all the other conversations that we're having this season. But you know, there's some big ideas that we need to kind of really start kind of just at least dropping into our consciousness. And this idea is that this energy that is, that creates everything, right. has no beginning and has no end. Right. Um, it was always, it always was. So it's always being. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that very much aligns with us. Yeah. Right. Well, which is one of my favorite things that anybody who's ever dismissed any of this information will always bring up without knowing that they bring it up. For instance, in healthcare, uh, I'll have a conversation with, um, to make it very much into the microcosm of this, I'll have a conversation with a physician. The physician will say, it's just incredible. And I'm like, well, what are you talking about? And they're like, oh, it's like, I just have to take this course over the weekend. He's like, this, this chemistry that runs through us and it's balanced that always stays at a balanced point is why we're physicians in the first place, he'll say, is because we're trying to find the imbalance and we're trying to combat it back with, you know, in their case, uh, if it's Western medicine, it's, you know, uh, another form of chemicals to bring back the chemical to balance, right? But no one questions why that balance is. No, I mean, it's not to say, I shouldn't say no one questions it, but I'm saying no one, we so comfortably dismiss the miracle of that. And sometimes I'll have a conversation with someone who will say, it's just incredible how the body 
in itself is constantly keeping everything regulated, right? And, and the term for that would be homeostasis that we talk about. Um, but uh, what I'm getting at is that is a representation of what is happening all around any planetary system um, involving all these chemicals and all these elements that haven't been placed into a body or a bag of that can withhold all those chemicals or all that interaction all in one place. And that's what we are. So we're just a, a microcosm of the of the macrocosm that's happening above, right? So the, what's happening above and whether it's like the planets, whether it's like in the universe is this balance and this energy and all these different elements that are all placed all over, including our planet. You know, the planet has a lot of... Um, a lot to say about the mapping of who we are as well and what we how we interact and what we do as as beings on this planet uh for the for the planet itself is something that we just quickly just not necessarily dismiss but it's crazy how we don't even talk about well without our interaction with the planet other things wouldn't exist and without other things existing we wouldn't exist and so you should start there very basically and make your way back up as we keep talking about mm -hmm. so when manly p hall talks about this i like that you know he he describes these elements or these um, these these celestial like energies being somewhere out there and how they made their way into us and how you can make you can basically make a you can find your way back to that all the way up but again we're talking about how we just don't do that or how that's all watered down you know what i mean uh, i don't know if that makes any sense yeah no i think that makes perfect like, sense for what you're saying yeah and you know so you know we're looking at the elohim and we spoke about this in this last podcast about how this is uh it's a term that means gods, and it means he and she, so it's androgynous, mm -hmm. right? So we have these kind of these female gods, um, and that's and that's kind of a really, really important aspect um, to understand. But then also in that same understanding, and Elohim is going to be the Hebrew read word that was in place of God, um, but also in the idea of heaven and earth. And we spoke again a little bit about this last week, but the idea that we have this above and below that's created— and it's it is more of a degree, so it's it's a degree of separation. So it's not like the above is separated from the below, mm -hmm. but it's more a scale, right? So the top of that scale, the highest aspect of that is going to be the most pure spirit as possible, um, and that's going to be heaven at the highest aspect. And then the lowest possible of that scale, which is going to be the lowest material aspect of Earth, is going to be um, the material, right? Right, and matter. Okay, so what we're going to see is through this above and below and through the idea of heaven and earth, we're going to see that spirit manifest itself into the physical world as matter. Right. Right. Okay, so this is going to change our understanding of, really, really, it doesn't change our understanding of everything, because if you talk to an astrophysicist, they'll tell you that all matter is just condensed, trapped energy, Right. And so they just don't define energy as spirit, where ancient philosophers would have said that's that's the spirit particle right, right there, right? So we kind of have this like mistranslation that kind of happens. But just the idea that there's this above and there's this below, and that spirit reigns above matter, mm -hmm. okay? And so what we're going to see there is that this idea of spirit and this idea of consciousness is going to precede matter. Right. Okay, so again, we have all this... 
amazing aspects that are going to be kind of created with just in these first couple lines. Um, so we have obviously the God's androgynous um, aspect of this he and she creation. Um, but in no way does the Hebrew Bible talk about this Elohim as the God of all gods, because this is the gods. This is God's multiple, right? And so it's not really talking about the one mind. Right. This is a reflection of the one mind, okay? And this is going to, Elohim is going to be the entire subject when we kind of get into the Kabbalah. And we're going to get a little bit deeper into Genesis, and then we're going to introduce the Kabbalah, and then we're going to kind of keep making our way through the Bible. But the Kabbalah has to do with these 10 energy centers, Mm -hmm. okay? And that's really what's going to be the Sephiras, and these are really are going to be what is represented by Elohim. These this Elohim that is talked about in the Bible is really this these primary these primordial forces that precede manifestation, help form manifestation. Right. Okay, but they're the creator gods, but they are not the one mind behind everything. These are more of a reflection of aspects of the one mind mm-hmm. that we're going to kind of see perceive. And this is going to make a lot more sense too when we have the study of Gnosticism, because Gnosticism really goes into a lot more detail about maybe the the um, aspects of these Elohim, right? right? And what these 10 sephiras are going to represent is going to be really the, the 10 planets in the solar system, right? From the sun all the way to Pluto, right? Because there's a lot of in, in, um, understanding that these ancient civilizations knew of these far-off planets. I mean, they knew that Saturn had rings before they had telescopes. They had this understanding of these planets. And they even had an understanding that they knew everything was in scales. Mm -hmm. So they knew even if they couldn't perceive or see a planet in rotation, that didn't mean it wasn't there. They actually had a good understanding that there was planets outside of the limits that they could actually physically see that was influencing life on Earth, okay? Because they had this understanding of the whole universe's scales. Why would this not be? Exactly. Right? Okay, so this is, again, this is kind of something that we've kind of been disconnected with. um, But everything's going to kind of start to come together because we're going to see these 10 planets kind of play into these 10 energy fields of the Sephira. And what these these energy fields are going to do is this is going to be the emanation of creation. Right. And this is the energy that kind of pushes everything through. Um, and we're going to start to kind of see everything start coming together. Like the 10 planets of astrology and the 12 signs of the zodiac. Well, 10 plus 12 is 22. Now you've got the letters of the alphabet. Right? These are the letters of God, right? And this is, this is why you have the 22 letters of God, and you put those together to actually create the many different names of God, and you have 22 of those. So everything is going to start to come together in your um, reality that you didn't even think was kind of connected. Right. But that's what's actually going to be kind of coming to with these 22 like Hebrew letters of God, and we're going to really kind of see how this aspect is really um, going to kind of make itself make itself present. Um so we're, we're looking at this Elohim as more of emanations. We're not looking at this as like there's multiple creator gods. There's, a, there's energy behind that, but this is just the reflection of that. Mm-hmm. Okay? And we're going to kind of see this aspect happen. And the only way that we actually perceive this emanation is the lowest form of creation. Right. 
So there's going to be kind of like, um, you know, multiple different levels. And it's only that bottom level do we actually see the manifestation on the material world. Right. Right. And again, we don't have this under, we have this, we have this almost forgetfulness that there's realms that precede it. Right. Right. And we only kind of live isolated. Well, like I like that in the, in the Kabbalah to talk about them. Well, we'll, we've gotten into this before with the macrocosms and the microcosms, but the in-between is the part that has multi-faceted layers that lead you to the macro Mm -hmm. uh, when you're in the micro, micro being like us, right? The smaller version of the reflection of that universal energy or the universe Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, the layers that it takes to go back to the macro uh, are important to also understand. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. No, absolutely. These are the, those are the seeds of manifestation, right? These are the seeds that kind of, that passes out as life. Um, So the, um, so these Elohim are going to represent these, these creating powers of nature. These are the, uh, the molding primordial mist that represents spirit manifesting into matter. Um, and we're really starting to see that consciousness is going to develop and fold through its creation. Mm-hmm. Okay, revealing that its divine plan and the geometry of growth and the geometry of time. Okay, and all this is making itself very, very um, specifically known in Genesis. Okay, right. time and space is preceded by consciousness. Okay, so consciousness precedes everything. And that's where it's going to, we're really going to kind of be making this idea. So this idea of being, so this is going to be in, um, this is really where that how idea is, um, you know, I am, therefore I think kind of thing like this aspect of being almost presents the light of, it almost, it almost precedes even the the light of an idea mm. because it's just this aspect of being is this, is this constant, constant um, idea. And even when we talked about the mission of the soul, you have that aspect about you that you just can't put a finger of on when it began, right? Like you can understand, you can remember your earliest memory, but you still, even though that's your earliest memory, you're like, no, but there was, there's was something that preceded this, mm-hmm. right? And we talked about that, how you have this connection to this eternal aspect, and it's those two components of the soul. Um, and this is what we're kind of seeing brought up to the table to be kind of represented for you. And how are you going to handle this information? Because this information is the only information... This information that you are a part of creation and you partake in creation is the only information that can be um, forgotten in a moment's notice. Okay, it's really interesting, right? You you say you're like new to a job and you're like working in a kitchen and there's a part on a stove that's really hot. Um, that gets hot and you by accidentally put your hand there and you burn your hand on a spot that's not supposed to get hot. Well, you learn that lesson for the rest of the time you're working on that stove. You're just not going to put your hand on that stove, right? It goes into your consciousness and you're like, no, this is, I I put this into a pattern of like, no, I am not going to put my hand there. 
the story of creation, and we really start to learn about what spiritual understanding is in that aspect of I am, and you realize that you are it, right? And you have this spiritual understanding and you get this connection that like, no, I am it. I am a part of it all, and the all is me. This is fine when you're in meditation. This is fine maybe when you're finishing a yoga class and you have a full understanding of this. But this information dissipates the moment you walk out the door into the physical reality and you're stuck in traffic or you, you know, find out that like a relationship falls apart or you get some kind of confusion at work. There's kind of some kind of jealousy just like that. It's gone. And all of a sudden it's you against the world again. Mm -hmm. Why is it the only information that's like that? Okay, that's something that we have to remember. Why is it the most important information in the world is the information we forget? Mm-hmm. That's why it's in this book. That's why spiritual understanding is so vast. That's why this all this information has to be written like it is because there's no direct way to just tell you that you are it. Yeah. You have to experience it. You have to believe it. And you have to fully embody it. Okay? And it's... It's not going to be something that they can just say A plus B equals C, because we can say that, we can tell people this, and just how quickly we fall out of it. Well, yeah, I mean, we've inverted the idea of macrocosm and microcosm, Mm -hmm. 100%. So that's why a child, in my opinion, will be very susceptible to understanding the story of creation, say, through the Bible. And you do a Bible study with a kid, and the kid is maybe, I don't know, five, six years old. It's not so much of the words that you're expressing about the story of creation or on the sixth day, you know, animals were made and, and, and then man proceeded after that. It's the story that is so fresh into the mind of a child that there's no need to deny because the macrocosm isn't something that is feared nor questioned, but more felt, especially when you're a younger person. And the microcosm being that this is the materialistic world that we've created. This is what science says. This is what a football game looks like. This is what your favorite TV show is. Um, They're not yet embedded into us so much to where we forget but as we grow older, that inversion cre- is created where you think, oh, well, in the back of my mind, somewhere out there, maybe, I don't know, but maybe, and maybe being that maybe I do understand or want to understand what that macrocosm is or what the universe is. So I can stop using the word macrocosm. I'm referring to like the bigger um, aspect of ourselves that lies far beyond, you know, these five, our five cent construct here on, on the planet is easily forgotten because like I said, the inversion as you get older becomes more and more um, of a takeover of your life. So being caught up in traffic or, you know, to put a quick pause on this, I always think of life in a way that gives me reassurance. And, And one of those is this, let's just say that in the the part of our life and, and on a Friday night here, you go to your favorite basketball game right with your friends i'm already taking in the entire experience as what i believe to be this connection to source how is this connection to source to some nba game right so i don't even care for for basketball but i'll I'll explain myself we're all there as a as a whole right so whether it's you're rooting for one team or another you're divided in that regard that there's one team winning and one team losing and you want the team losing to win 
But altogether, we're there at the same time experiencing the same energy of one or two or five individuals in the case of basketball trying to aim for a hole and get their, the, the best way that they know how to uh, as an assembly to get the most points out of you know this game. And then you leave the game and, and you talk about the game and you talk about the individuals playing the game and why we won or why we lost. But all that is still connect, 100% connection to source, the connection to something, to, to this energy that we um, have in the back of our mind, but are supplementing by the statistics of like the game itself. Like, oh, did you see that one guy? Did you see that one score? Did you see what the ref did? But it's all just like a like you're just mimicking energies that have been misplaced in this case into something like the national, you know, basketball, uh, is it association? I think so. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So the NBA. And I just think that, um, that's why you get things like, you know, a fight might break out or energies might get completely convoluted based on this, this dumb game. And you'll see children be like, how are these adults behaving? So, you know, um, uh, irrational and how, how are they, why are they so upset? But no one wants to talk about the fact that the involvement in this game itself is just this energy that, um, we soon forget about where it's coming from and why we're all connected and why we're all inspired to watch, um, our potential uh, succeed. It's all muddled into this game. You know what I mean? Like, and what I mean by this game, I mean like in the Western world, the United States and this team and this team that's represented by the state, uh, it's so ridiculous. And so I think, again, the inversion that I'm trying to say is that it happens everywhere, but we still carry the importance of this connection. We just have it misplaced. Does that make sense? That that analogy kind of makes sense. What I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I think misplaced is a is a perfect. I think it's misplaced, and I think it's just so. You know, I think it's that it's idea of the story of the pearl. It's amnesia. Like we, we. It's a part of the human experience is for this to be a transient understanding of remembering and forgetting of who we really are, and I think that's what it really kind of comes down to. And there's this. When we really start looking into creation, there's this understanding that we have to kind of come through that, like, you know, I did this. I I am the one that manifested into my own consciousness. I was one with the creator. I was one with source. Just like when we think about the, you know, the the fetus almost in the womb of the mother, mm-hmm. how it's, you know, it's in its own universe and it's in this constant state of bliss. Um but that process has to end. And I think that's what we're really kind of looking at. Uh, and I think this goes really good because, you know, this kind of just works out because, you know, we were we were trying to debate on what kind of episode we were going to do today. And I kind of like how it just kind of spliced together because we have a lot of people who've been sending us information about how the episodes on time have been a little bit um, difficult because they feel like they've almost like lost a little bit of hope because we're talking about i don't know the apocalypse right and mm-hmm. it's, it's it's a heavy subject right but you know there's and we'll kind of go more into this as we kind of progress but there's this huge idea of like you know that that idea of i am and you did this you're the one that looked down you're the one that looked into matter to make this whole manifestation happen so it did this because it is you. So we cry out to God when we're in pain. We cry out to God when something's not fair. But the idea is God needs to go through even these experiences of unfairness to understand the polarity of what is fair. And we are all players in this 
amazing drama. And it's when we kind of start to see it from that aspect and we start to see it from that angle that we kind of see the whole, the whole picture kind of, um, kind of coming together, you know? So we just forget all the time that I am like the, the Christ dwells within. So we are the clay that molds. Um, and we just kind of forget who we are and that, that there's no other body of knowledge that's forgotten and ignored, like the ultimate truth, which is right. the truth of, you know, I am, and you are a partaker in creation. You are a partaker in consciousness. Yeah. Um, and there's nothing, there's nothing like that in the whole other body of knowledge. So it's just so funny that the most ultimate truth in the world is the truth that evades us the most. Yeah. Right. I, I'm so glad you eloquently like sort of brought it back. I don't know if my analogy for the listeners of the basketball game makes sense, but I think it was a slam dunk. Oh, <laughs> you're the man, dude. But, uh, but you know what I'm saying? It's just, I think it's awesome that, um, that you can have these experiences with your fellow being and have these energies, uh, felt throughout, whether it's in a crowd or, or at a, at a music festival, but it ends there. Yeah. So I'm saying it stops there. It kind of was like, okay, the show's over. Now let's go home. And it's like, well, what did we just experience? And how do we just all vibrate together on this one, uh, idea or this one, uh, event. And, um, and yeah, I think it's, it's easily forgotten. Uh, and I think that's the, the test that we're going through right now. And I think the the fact that it's easier forgotten now than it was then. So even like people, um, in our fellow, like, circle of friends will tell you like i don't even know what the sanctity of having a child might be or or even getting married that in itself is where you need to apply discipline because the fact that you so easily can say that and not feel that you're going to have some sort of rejection from society because most of society right now can agree on you to say that well what is spirituality anyways i mean is that something you just learn at some yoga class or is this your way of you know um denying your religious up upbringing but you still feel like maybe there is something out there or you don't want to say there's something out there because you don't know for sure that there's nothing out there i just think this whole um era that we're in right now is is very evident of how we're supposed to make our way back and so to make your point about time so i can slow down here is one of the things that um daniel and i've talked about when you know, people reach out to us and say, Hey, these subjects on the, on the yuga specifically, or like an era ending, man, what a bummer. And it says, no, to me, I say, no, it's not a bummer. It's your wake up call in order to make sure and ensure that when the golden era does come back or when a cycle comes back, where we all are all, are all in on the same page and don't deny that, which lies within the universe and the energy and the forces that make us who we are, you need to stick around long enough right now to teach the next generation, to teach the generation after that, so that when that time comes, you are prepared and they are prepared and they are prepared so they can carry on um, that peaceful era that will come after the Kali Yuga. So it, to me, the end of time is only the end that is being prepared for the beginning. So therefore, as we're coming to the end we needed to ramp it up we need to actually do the best that we can in order to like not just progress ourselves spiritually speaking but also the generations that will come much much after this time so don't your hopes should you know should not be uh squashed by you know the the knowledge of like the, the end of time it should just be a way of waking you up to go 
oh man, we gotta we gotta do this right before it starts all over again. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And and like the idea of the end, you should know that there is a, the end is the beginning. Right. And so, you know, that's that's part of the aspect. So again, we gotta make sure as we as we move forward in our spiritual development, that we take all of our spiritual information in our backpacks with us. And it's not just like isolated things of like, oh, well, this is where we are in time or we're in the apocalypse. Well, no, because you have to take in the idea that the alpha and the omega are the same thing. And you have to take in the aspect that if consciousness is eternal, you have an eternal aspect inside yourself and, you know, energy cannot be destroyed. So, really we 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 get the problem is is we let fear bring us down to our senses and we don't realize that we're actually looking at stuff from this uh, materialistic viewpoint like we get this whole spiritual understanding we start looking at these large calendars and we stop even analyzing these spiritual calendars in a spiritual way and we fall back into kind of this postmodern habit style that's a product of the age that we're in right right and so what do we know about creation? Well, creation is, it's the manifestation. It's the rearranging of elements that are already present. So when we're dealing with this Kali Yuga and kind of like trying to understand our process and our spot in it, well, you can see the manifestation that's happening. You can see what's going on. So what you need to do is you need to start making the arrangements to manifest what will be coming in the golden age, because the golden age is four times longer than the Kali Yuga. Right. Four times longer than the Iron Age. And we are in the twilight of the the Kali Yuga. So we're at the end of the Kali Yuga, and supposedly this is going to go for another like 400 years. Right. So you can already hear the bells of the golden age. So at this time, you being a creator and you understanding that how creation was even created was this idea of almost perception shifting you need to start hearing the bells of the golden age and tuning into that note and that's what you're going to start aligning yourself in so you can either be a part of the destruction or you can be part of the creation that's exactly. coming um but it's not just this like this is the the end of one age and then the new age just begins the new on you know the first day and it's a completely different world no we are building that world right now. Exactly. That's what we're doing in this, in these networks and all the other great spiritual, esoteric, occult networks, because there's so many of them, all the other great researchers. What we're doing is we are manifesting, we are creating our own genesis for the golden age, and we are bringing that on. So it's very easy to get trapped into the building of the destruction because creation is harder, right? It's harder to create than to destroy. Um, and again, that create that destruction aspect is kind of aligning yourself with the senses and the five elements. And that pull we know is going to be harder at this, is going to be more stronger. But this is what free will is all about. This is what character development is all about. This is what the test is. Because you have to remember that this is the story of you. Um you know, and I think that's what everybody, we, we forget that too. Like the greatest story in the world is the story of you and everybody else is a part of that story. And that's what we're missing out on when we start looking at these, these yuga cycles and we start really thinking about like, you know, what is the end of time? What is this end of this iron age going to look at? We're just 
were not taking part in the aspect of creation. Um, and they know this. Right. Right. We're talking about the individuals that kind of ride this wave. The idea is consciousness at the end of the Iron Age gives you a choice. It says, like, hey, look at you have this ability of being a creator. Right. What are you going to do with this power? And the problem is, is for souls that are not mature enough, they want to look away and not even take any responsibility for what's going on. Because that's what, if you really want to talk about what we need to do in the Kali Yuga, it's taking responsibility for everything that's happened. Because even though it might not have been your physical f- fault, as consciousness, we're all partaking in it. So it's not so much saying like this blame or... Um, um, I'm trying to think of what the word, you know, we don't want to, um, f- there's not like this sorrow or feeling bad for ourselves, but more just taking more responsibility in the idea that we are creators and we are partaking in our creation. And this is the creation that we're making. Which is really well said because in, in re- and to make a full circle, as we're going through Genesis and especially when Daniel and I talked about, you know, the King James version of the Bible, it's very evident right there and then that it's just so cut up into into these macro-sized pieces of just like take what this is and then move on. And the information that's being um, withheld from you isn't helping you, you know, make those decisions in the end to create that new era as you go along because you're like, oh, it's already been done. It already happened. This is how the creation story um uh, you know, began and then this is where it ends. So therefore, like, what can I really do about it? And it's like, what? There's so much more going mm-hmm. on um, within those seven days of, of creation that are just overlooked and moving on. And I feel like that's a place where you can start is, is what we're doing right here right now is the reason we do these esoteric breakdowns is to be like, no, let's there's let's let's take a take our time for now understanding this so we can understand how to carry this information on into the next kingdom that we want to create. And I think, uh, you know, Manly Behal does a, a great, great um, job in this in this book. The book that I'm talking about right now that I'm holding is How to Understand Your Bible. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was given to me by a great friend, uh, Daniel Pomeski. Hey! And, um, you know, what I really like about, about it is he just, he, he, he doesn't really, he doesn't spend a lot of time just trying to fix that which is what is written in the version of the Bible that most people know, but more so really kind of open your eyes to a meaning that the Bible itself just wants you to either accept or deny and just move on. And I think that's just so interesting that like, I know that there's other schools of thought and other uh, schools of, of, of um, within the idea of creation that, give you a, a deeper explanation of this, but it's just not known to to everyone. And I think that it's very important to just even take the smallest of blurbs from like the King James version and take your time and really understand what is being said, which is why I think it's interesting that our first take on Genesis, we only got through a few words. You know what I mean? Well, look at, like, we don't only got through the first, a few words, but we completely were able to sidetrack this entire episode on something we didn't even plan on talking about because this was not on the agenda, but it covers so much that it's even when you're like have an agenda of what does this mean? It can, it can create its own identity because it is, this is the book of creation. So, so much is created from it. It's almost hard to kind of almost like stay on because let's be honest, this was not on our agenda to kind Mm -hmm. of talk about the Kali Yuga today in these aspects. 
Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. So it's just so it's just so understand. It's so interesting how this living document brings life into your own life. You know, right? Um, but I couldn't agree more with you about the passing by of religion because I mean, how many people do communion and they eat the cracker and drink the wine and have no idea why they're why? doing it? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. No, I. Um, so like. Uh, there's just one. So if I could just read off of one of the seven days of creation, um, uh, based on what Manly P. Hall describes here in this book, one thing I really liked about that you keep bringing up, and I'll just read. So I'll quote here what he says. He says, the pattern for the creation of our own solar system applies to all other solar systems in our universal chain. The pattern also applies to all forms of life evolving within our solar system from suns and planets to grains of sand, electrons and atoms. And I'll stop right there. There's more to that, but I feel like you've brought this up multiple times, even before we even got into the story of creation. And I think that what you're saying regard that how the agenda changed today, it changed, but it's, it's also, uh, it's funny cause it's like exactly what we're describing to talk about the Kali Yuga to talk about the end, but to talk about creation is to talk about the beginning. So it's like, <laughs> we're still doing it. Yeah. You know what I mean? We're still doing the the same thing we're talking about. It's just as something ends, there's always the beginning. And as something begins, there will be an end. Right. And so you bringing up the Kali Yuga or us describing again, the end of time where the end of time isn't real because the beginning is right after the end of time is exactly what we're doing right now right. within this episode. It's just right. like, oh, well. We didn't even know how deep our unorganized stuff was. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, so so if you want to go back to the agenda, though, that we had in regards to the seven days of creation um, and what Genesis has to say about, um, you know, these, these steps that we're going to break down over the course of, of this whole um, second season— what is something that you really want to come back to? Because I have several questions, like I said at the beginning of the of the podcast, I said I have questions for you. And one of the questions that I did have for you, if that's okay, is, um, you know, how the Bible in itself um, has, has, has had these revisions or like how it's changed and, and so forth. And one of the questions I was going to have for you is, you know, in, in, in regards to Elohim. So where, where and how did that, um, in regards to the Hebrew idea of God with Elohim, how did that get completely changed? That was one of the questions I was going to have, like, why does that even, that's mm-hmm. not presented anymore? You know, like how of is Like that? multiple gods? Yeah. Well, you know, that, that's what's kind of interesting because if you talk to a biblical scholar, even a, like almost like a, I don't want to say maybe a fundamental Christian, but like a Christian that goes to like a, a big Christian university that's kind of like pretty much owned by the state kind of still like, you know, one of those ones that you don't think you're going to get a deep esoteric understanding, more of like an understanding of the exoteric. Mm-hmm. A biblical scholar will agree with you on Elohim, meaning gods, which is very interesting. So like Hebrew right off the bat will be like, yeah, it means gods. But even like you're trained, um, like almost like missionary Christians will be like, yes, that means gods, mm. um, which is fascinating. Um, because I've had conversations with individuals that I didn't think they would actually like admit that. And then they do. And then you're like, oh, you know, very interesting. Um, so, again, this forgetfulness of I am and this idea of this like really of who we are and how 
you know, how transient it is and how it's an aspect of, it's a truth that you literally have to physically hold on to at every moment to really embrace and to really understand. And you still can't even do that. Um, so where this change probably happened was I would say right around the Council of Nicaea. So the Council of Nicaea was when really the kind of the Catholic Church is starting to take the power away from the Gnostics, because mm-hmm. um, the Gnostics and Catholicism is going to be kind of growing up as two different branches. Catholicism is going to be more represented by uh, the disciple Peter, the Apostle Peter, and Gnosticism is going to be more represented by the Apostle Paul. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what we have there is kind of this this separation. And that's when they're really going to kind of like organize the Bible, pick out the books that are going to be in the Bible. So a lot of um, nefarious things happened at the Council of Nicaea. But that's when we really started to formulate this idea of, oh, you know, Christianity could be used as control. Right. Um, but this was about 400 AD. So this is 400 years after the prophet, because there was not, Christianity grew very slow because they didn't really see a lot of potential for control in early Christian writings from the Gnostics and the ancient Hebrew Gnostics, because people saw this Christ figure as their self gaining self-sovereignty and independence from any kind of manipulation. And so there wasn't a lot of power opportunity. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of see what we're going to kind of see the Catholicism really kind of start develop after the Council of Nicaea, so right after 400 AD. And then we're going to see that really, really kind of come up to its peak around like the 1200s. Um, and then it's going to start to lose its power right with the birth of the Renaissance. And right. then it's going to kind of slowly kind of lose its power. Um, still super powerful organization today. Some people argue the most powerful organization, like uh, they like Rome and the papacy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think um, alternative historians could argue that, um, but then there's going to be a lot of alternative historians that would agree with that. Um, but that's about the time that this is going to happen. That's when the the translations are going to happen. And then obviously with like the King James Bible, we have the idea of God in that. And the King James Bible one of the big reasons why it was so important is because at that time too, right when the King James Bible was around, we start having the introduction of other religions where you're actually able to look at the Bible. Because Catholicism, you don't really study the Bible independently, like modern Catholics look at the Bible more, but before that's, the priest was the median of the Bible. Right. Right. This is what Martin Luther, this is what the whole, um, that whole, Protestantism, like the whole transfer is going to be was self-study of the Bible, or does the priest tell you about the Bible? So we had a lot of control of the Bible. The Bible wasn't even in our hands for a long time. And then economic-wise, before the printing press, it was expensive to have a Bible, like only the rich could have the Bible, right? So there's a lot of factors that took, by the time the Bible actually got into the hands of the common man and woman, it went through so many translations, so many... um, you know, even translating it, the language, and then the rewriting, and then the publishing, and everything that happened. By the time we actually got the Bible in the hands of the masses, it was a um, a fragment of the original book, right? Right. Yeah. You know, and then we have all these other aspects of people interpreting it, and um, and then obviously stuff like you know, like the Book of Enoch was left out in the Council of Nicaea because the Book of Enoch gave people a lot of power, right? All the Gnostic Bible Gnostic Bible verses, like the extended verses of Paul and stuff, were kept out because it gave an understanding of um, the potential of the individual, 
right? This is why in Catholicism, they don't know what happened to Jesus from 13 to 32. Right. They're just like, oh, no, we just like stopped hearing about the prophet. And you're like, oh, really? Where the Gnostics cover that in, de- in detail, right. what he did from 13 to 32. And it has a lot to do with like going around Mary and getting like initiated at all these different schools. Because um, there's like records in old Buddhist monasteries at that time of like a Jesus of Nazareth coming through. So the idea that maybe that Jesus was this, um, maybe a figure you know, could have been a historical figure, but if there was a historical figure, the idea that he actually went around and got initiated at all these ancient mysteries and then came back around to um, kick some ass. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, in all the right ways. In all right? the right ways. light, love. Absolutely. Light and love. But, um, I mean, that's a great question. Like, when did this kind of happen? It's going to be a lot of different variances that are going to um, add to this, you know, and then the destruction of other religions, especially with like the destruction of other cultures. I mean, we lost so much information with the destruction of Africa um, and, you know, all the aspects of when we started to actually disperse people outside of Africa and trade them for like the slave trade and stuff. Right. Like, you know, apart from all the other drama that came from that, we lost cultural and religious understanding. You know, the same thing with the Slavs, like the Eastern Europeans. You know, that was, that was, there was so much spiritual information that was there. And this, the destruction of all the Slavic countries. I mean, that's where the word slave comes from, is the Slavs. Um, we, we lost so much spiritual information. So, you know, that's kind of what the, this Iron Age that we're in to kind of pull everything full circle. The Golden Age is such this rich time of spiritual information. And the Silver Age is kind of the same way, but the, it kind of like, it's all there, and then it kind of slowly starts to dissipate. And then by the time you're at an Iron Age, like where we find ourselves, spiritual information is very scarce to find, and it's just oh, yeah. so much easier to be pulled with that gravitational pull to the to the material rather than the upward climb to the spirit. Right, right. Yeah, and the subcategories that exist that um, all speak of the same idea uh, in itself keep you questioning um, what truth really is subcategories being like multiple religions, religions that came from the religion and then other spiritual schools of thought that came from those religions. Everything is all from one source, but everything is different by, you know, some kind of slight variation or, uh, misleading information. And therefore mockery is created from that. And the mockery just influences the ignorance and then the ignorance keeps us in the same place. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think starting with the seven days of creation is an important process because we're not saying this is the one and be all definition of the seven days of creation, but we must also understand that, you know, um, to, bring this to a level of understanding shouldn't be as difficult since it's the story of you, mm-hmm. you know, and where it starts. And I think that's like the main thing we need to keep, <clears throat> excuse me, with this episode or these episodes is that even if we go off on these rants or go a little bit, you know, one direction over another, we're still trying to keep it within the center of ourselves and the universe, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and, and how to, to really make our way back home. Uh, but understand what home was and before it became, you know, this materialistic world that we're in here today. So mm-hmm. um, were you going to say something? No, I mean, I think that's a, a perfect way to kind of look at that, man. We have to, if there'd be the big lesson, it's, you know, your life did not start, your conscious life did not start um, when you took your first breath on earth, right? There's this conscious life that 
we can't even mark the beginning of, yeah. right? Um, and this kind of this gradual pull. So, you know, that understanding that spirit precedes matter and that as above, so below, the heaven and right. the earth, and really kind of seeing the idea of that, that being a scale. Um, but the idea that you came from the top and you slowly made your way down, um, and then you made your way up through the manifestation of a body. And right. This is this is again. This is the story of the cycle of necessity. We talked about this a lot, right? When we were kind of looking at alchemy last last season, um, and the idea of your almost your the evolution from spirit, and then your evolution back up. You mm-hmm. know, um, and we kind of made that decline, and then we. You know, you make that fall from spirit, that fall from the garden that we're going to kind of talk about, and then you land, and then you make your way from a single cell to a multi-celled, and then you make your way up the ladder of life, and you're always attracting a higher form of consciousness on that gradual return back to complete consciousness. Right. Right? Yeah. Um, And so we really kind of just see this idea that, you know, life is in the service of life, and we are really kind of just starting to perceive like this, this idea of this alpha and this omega. And I kind of like how today almost just became this like chat between the connection of Genesis with the yugic system, and especially the end of the yugic system that we find ourselves in. Um, but just its importance on you and getting your parameters correct to not only continue this study, but continue the development of your character in this environment that we find ourselves in. Right. Right. Because again, it's probably not the most ideal, but we just can't forget that, you know, you are a star baby and this yeah, is your right. story. Right. And that's I what think these... that's such a sh- good thing to kind of stress, um, especially just kind of moving forward um, because it is going to be difficult in a lot of different aspects, mm-hmm. you know, but that's, that's why um, it's all about creating your own light at this time and making sure that, you um, you not only light the way for yourself, but you light the way to the others. And, you know, really just, if there's one thing we can say is if the, if the golden age is four times longer, mm-hmm. that means that that note is almost four times louder. Um, and the golden age can almost be described as like an angel choir. So you can tap into that angel choir at this time. It's just going to take silence, peace, and grace to be able to actually perceive that energy. But you don't have to just tap into the static of the end of the Kali Yuga. You can perceive that angel hum, that choir, um, almost the bells. Right. Um, and it just depends on what bells are you going to ring. And at first, the bells are going to be very slight, and they're going to feel like they're way too off in the distance, and you can only hear them at certain times, like when you're around your family or like the birth of a child. It's something like really, you know, epic, but... If we can keep kind of focusing in on that through our character development, through our decision making, and just through the aspect of expanding love and light in our life, we can tap into that understanding um, a little bit more each day. And it's just going to be this gradual thing. But as we get closer to the golden age, so as you kind of go through your life, it's actually going to get easier because every moment we get closer to that, that golden age. Absolutely. Right? So understanding too that, you know, Again, we feel that evil so powerful right now, and we feel like that's where the advantages are, is to be nefarious and kind of be a narcissist. Um, but that's just because that's the energy that's available right now. 
It doesn't yeah. mean that it's more powerful. Or it's, it's the it's easiest its energy it's available the, right now. Right. Or even I love that you're talking about this, the sound of, of the, of the angels. Um, you know, one thing that I, this is so great. So I'm going to, I'm going to make something relatable here. And before I go into this sort of little anecdote, um, one of the things that I really liked that I was reading in regards to um, the seven days of creation based on an interpretation through Manly P. Hall is, you know, when he talks about the, um, and the, and the Kabbalah, you know, that um, the universe doesn't actually resemble man in his physical form, but rather than the same system of geometry, which patterned man is also patterned the world and also patterned the essence and principles and forces of the universe, um, altogether right mm -hmm. and what i love about that is it's a reinforcement of what you're saying about listening to the angels sing but here's this anecdote that i was um that i wanted to bring up um i don't remember the last time you listened to the song kiss from a rose by seal but next time you listen to the song that is a glimpse in my opinion of what daniel's talking about of listening to the angels because if we are in this period of of the end before a new era begins you still find people who know how to tap into something more um, angelical that you could have ever experienced. And if that song didn't exist, then we wouldn't know its potential for uh, the potential for us to have such like a beautiful melody that runs through um, our our body. But we, we, we there's so many little context clues that are left behind in such dire times. And one of those context clues that are left behind are like lyrics of a song or even things like the experience of goosebumps when you listen to something that you're like, oh, I don't know how I could have ever even like heard this song uh, any other way. It's my favorite song. And I think that that's where I find little glimpses of hope all around. And the reason I bring up this song particularly is one of the things I like to do um, when I'm playing guitar is there's a guy that I like to watch and he's a studio producer and he takes every single instrument that is written into a song that is overlooked by society um, so easily. And he's like, the way this is written is something that he can't even fathom as an engineer. He's an engineer that produces uh, music and he's, and he's trying to have this conversation with the audience about the complexity of you know, the orchestra and then the strings and the timing and the signatures and then even the voice of the singer. And that's where I find hope when we're living in this era of this narcissistic, uh, you know, uh, denial of spirit, there's still these glimpses of spirit that can be found within certain um, moments in pop culture, I should say, in this regard. This is a song that we're talking about. Um, but there are other glimpses of that from, you know, movies or books and writings. And I, so I, I just, I urge you to next time you, you hear something that makes you feel a certain way, or if the goosebumps start to come about or the hairs on the back of your neck start to stand like that is just something that we should really kind of consider as a moment of beauty in a time that most people want to just quickly say, we're in the worst times we've ever been in. And it's like, well, Sure. But there are still individuals who are tapping into a source. And don't forget that that source that they're being tapped into is there. Don't take it so much for granted. And that's what I mean by that song. So it's not so much about just that song. It's just about these moments in time that still exist within a very dire period that we find ourselves in. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, man. You know, and it is kind of fascinating because, um, and actually Jordan Peterson brings this up. It's, it's interesting how 
in this in this cycle of moving to this more kind of like hedonistic narcissistic society the aspect and power of music has actually grown you know in this in its ability to actually connect and unite people is um is almost like on the upswing mm-hmm. you know um especially with like underground music now if you look at like popular music oh yeah there's terrible popular music is definitely on. on like the degrading like we don't have oh, yeah. like a lauren hill right now or like really a tupac you know like even yeah, in yeah. that hip-hop scene i mean even in the um you know the rocks like there's just not you know the good music is kind of still in the kind of the underground but it does it's still at this like exploding level of very talented musicians like even just like you can go on like a um, I mean, I hate to use YouTube, but you can go on like a YouTube um, rabbit hole and see people doing covers of songs. And it's just like this beautiful, beautiful cover of a song right. that they're just like shooting in their bedroom, right? Um, so the power of music has actually grown, even though we are in this like Caliudia kind of this death of um, where we took virtue and replaced it with this like mere kind of like equality kind of thing and this aspect of this nihilistic narcissistic society we're moving in but the power of music is actually growing and the connection of it is is actually growing so it's kind of an interesting case study yeah Um, and it just kind of shows that music as well as dancing is the greatest example of how this universe actually works because it's all patterns and it's all vibrations and it's the coming together of those patterns and aligning yourself with those patterns that's what i was going to say is the alignment so like i'll give you a scenario in a different time there was a strawberry and there was dirt all right so you you taste the strawberry your dopamine is affected you're like wow this is very sweet it is from the earth it is natural then there's dirt right so those are your two comparisons we are right now currently living in the choice of not necessarily strawberry and something bland like dirt but strawberry and taffy so what I mean is taffy being man-made manufactured, the dopamine receptors will also still open up to the taste of taffy. But right now you find that there are people who are like, okay, so taffy is giving me the same and taffy being a candy here in the United States. And I'm sure also in other parts of the world, but it's a very shitty. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Tell us how you uh, really feel. How I feel about taffy, but uh, it's just, it's just so uh, generic and just so whatever. Right. But the farmer who took the time to actually have the patterns that it takes to be connected to the soil that basically led to the strawberry to bloom to then the strawberry to, I mean, sorry, to grow and to then have its flavor to then have the moment it touches your palate has a more deep rooted, no pun intended, experience to what you are eating versus something that's pretty tasty, like a taffy strawberry flavored, but you're just like, something's not right here. And music has done the same thing. There is the effort that it takes to actually put a song together that is embedded within the farming of this like pattern that you need to tap into. And then there's this like generic modified way of doing it. And we'll just call it taffy music, but it's like, you know, and, and I think that's the time we finally live in. There was a time where that didn't exist. And now we finally have this decision we have to make between what's true and what is just a, uh, a mimic of, mm-hmm. of truth. You know what I mean? Cause a scientist will tell you, he's like, well, technically if I could see your brave, your, your brain wavelengths, like you're experiencing the same kind of dopamine effects of anything, the taffy is giving you even a better ride for your buck. And you're like, dude, but this is awful because the rest of my body is like, what is this mm-hmm. and how do we even digest this? And it's like, the scientists mm-hmm. just left it at the palate and didn't really care for the consequences that come after. And same thing for the ears that, you know, um, listen to 
a lot of bullshit that's out there, especially in a, in a mass produced industry and in music and in pop culture, you got to kind of look at it from that perspective of plastic where you're just like, Hmm. And they found a way to do that. And so there's a, there's a, a whole generation of people who don't care about this comparison between in this analogy, the strawberry and the taffy or an actual musician like Lauren Hill to something terrible like Cardi B. Mm-hmm. Cardi B, you're the worst. The worst. <laughs> I'm not judging. If you like to listen to Cardi B, by all means, um, don't do it. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, but, but really don't. Um, but yeah, you know, you know what I'm trying to say. And I think that's, that's something to me that makes me very excited in the era that we find ourselves in is that you have to make these choices and you have to know how to distinguish between what is and what is not, you know, and, and a good way to do that is to keep learning about these patterns. And we will keep doing that as we break down the story of creation. Uh, and yeah, I know we kind of went a little bit all over the place with this, but uh, it's kind of hard not to, 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 to contain ourselves is, is, is definitely like a discipline because once you start learning about this and you read it, then your brain just decides to be like, well, I'm just going to like take it this direction based on everything I've read. Mm -hmm. So bear with us. You know, we still are very excited students of the esoteric and, um, you know, yeah. Well, I mean, I think this is perfect. I think this sets us up perfectly for, to just tackle seven days of creation. Cause what this kind of does is it was almost a, a combination of the first like four or five episodes kind of pulling them together. Mm-hmm. Right. So look at us picking up the pieces of this kind of little, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, fragmented episode. And we're like, Oh no, it was all meant to be. Um, but I think that's just great. So we know we're going to kind of continue this seven steps of um, the seven, what was it like the seven steps of alchemy, but we're going to talk about them as the seven days of creation. Um, you also might know them as the chakras and, um, We'll kind of take a look at that with its connection with the cycle of necessity. Um, that's going to be um, in two weeks, though, right? Mm-hmm. So how it's kind of working out is Eduardo and myself are both going to be out of town. I'm going to be in Oceanside, California nice. for the 4th of July, which I'm Oceanside, super excited yeah. about. Yeah, there's a pirate bar out there that um, I have a lot of fun. It's just a lot of fun. A lot Dude, of shenanigans. I don't even know place. if I'll be getting into shenanigans, but I do love me some pirates. So I will make my way down there. If you're from Oceanside, try to reach out to Daniel and see if you can meet with Daniel. And I will be in part. Seattle, Washington Seattle. for uh, my okay. family's in, in the Pacific Northwest. And if you're out in Seattle, um, let me know. Yeah. Yeah. It's 4th of July week, right? Yep. Okay, cool. So, so next week, um, we're actually going to, um, this will be a random episode for everybody, but we're going to publish the lost Lord of the Rings episode, which was actually made for our patron account. Yes. Right. Yes. And we just never could figure out how to post it on a pa- patron. Was we couldn't like, get it on the patron. No. And it's a great, it's a great episode. And we, Daniel and I talked about this in the beginning of, of the season uh, of season one and how we would do a breakdown of movies and, and also music and other songs. And that still is going to happen. I know that we've been getting after it in a very heavy sense with the, you know, the, the, the beginning and, and creation and Genesis, but we definitely want to kind of keep it a little light as well and keep it a little hopeful. And, you know, there are references out there and there are different, uh, um, you know, like I said, movies that can definitely like sort of tie this all in of everything that we're dropping onto you that might be too heavy. And Lord of the Rings does, does that for, for, 
um, most of the conversations we've had, you know, he kind of can relate it to, to a lot of the things that happened mm-hmm. in that story. So, yeah. And I think the greatest thing about Lord of the Rings, and we didn't even think about this connection until the last week till we were chatting about what we were going to do about that week. We were both going to be gone was the idea of Lord of the Rings is it's the story about the end of one time to the beginning of a new time. So it was the end of the era and there was beginning of the human era. And that's why like Gandalf and Frodo, that's why they all have to leave because we're actually on the age of humans that was coming upon. So it is about the, these great ages and these transformations. And um, I mean, it goes to perfect thing, the amount of fear, you know, death and destruction that was coming, um, but how they are going to overcome that. And they do it through truth, love, and light. Right. And that's going to be how they're going to kind of overcome this. So it's going to be a great conversation. And I know it's just kind of an introduction. So we'll probably um, kind of throw Lord of the Rings in this kind of subject of time and Genesis. And I'm I'm thinking time, Genesis, and Lord of the Rings is going to kind of... Uh, Fuse or kind of fuse together as like the whole second season because I mean we we didn't really get much farther in the Genesis today I mean we kind of got to the second verse so yeah. um like we're on pace to be on that topic forever <laughs> <laughs> so we'll just kind of see where it goes um but we will kind of throw in some other um stuff in there just to kind of keep everything fresh but other than that uh super super excited for the future yes sir right um. Oh, cool. Uh, I know, again, we were a little bit all over the place, but I'm just excited to, to, to continue where, where we're leaving off now. So we will talk to all of you in about a couple weeks. Yeah, so we'll, so we'll have next week's come out with Lord of the Rings, and then we will come back together for seven days of creation. Sounds good, man. Sound good? Cool. Until next time, then? Until next time. All righty. Did you like my slam dunk joke? Uh, I did. <laughs>